Hello and welcome to the Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm podcast. This is Lee. Welcome back to the raw, off-the-cuff <laughs> podcast edition where I just talk to you about random things about bees. Last week was my first interview, which was so fun, and I have some feelers out of other people to interview for you. But this week, there were quite a few loose ends, um, notes I'd made myself from past shows of questions that I mentioned and then didn't answer, or questions that had come up in the meantime, and I want to talk about some of those today. Before I forget, please let me say that over at the Patreon page, I have put up a free post for everyone, and that is the sugar brick recipe that I'm going to talk about later uh, in the show. And that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Five Apple, and that's F-I-V-E-A-P-P-L-E. So Patreon dot com slash Five Apple, and I am uh, I've already posted the sugar brick recipe, which is a good emergency backup feed for hives in the winter and then also for the patrons the farm crew over there by the time you hear this I hope to have up a special bonus post for the patrons and that is a gallery of quilt boxes these are just screenshots of all kinds of quilt boxes that I have seen all over the internet that you may get ideas from if you are looking into doing quilt boxes Okay, so, like I said, last week, or did I say it? See, it's, oh man, uh, my bro- I didn't sleep so well last night, so this could be a crazy one, but um, last week, I talked to Mark Smith, my first, very first interview, and it was thrilling to have a phone interview, and I hope to have a lot more to come. Can't thank the recorder crew enough for um, making that happen, and I'm going to try to put that to good use. But I had a few notes just of some takeaways from Mark's interview uh, last week. One was I liked the way um, he, you know, what I call nukes. And again, that's not really referring to the particular size or even the particular configuration. But he called them uh, support hives or resource hives. And uh, I've seen resource hive used um, on a particular configuration, but I, but I like the way he just called them um, support hives, that they uh, have everything in there that you might need for many types of problem solving in the bee yard. And so that was a neat way to look at that. Another um, takeaway that I had was to be reminded of the technique of the walk away, walk back split, and that is where you, um, when you split in the splitting season, um, you split the box, and then at five days, you go back and you look for the queen cells, and if there's any that are capped, you cull those out. You cut them out and discard those. Because the whole idea being the one of the um, alleged, perhaps, downsides of emergency queens, which anytime you do a split, uh, that you don't supply a queen for, the, the bees are using an emergency response to make those cells. Um, one of the complaints of those is that the bees, in their urgency to get a queen going, they pick a larva that's on the far end of the window to make a queen. And um, supposedly that makes a, a lower quality queen. A little side note here. Um, 
Sam Comfort is working with the David Tarpey Queen Lab um, to actually get some data on that to see if that's that's really true consistently. Um, anyway, so there were two things: this walk away, walk back. I just got reminded of that, and that I definitely um, use that going back at five days calling out the ones that are capped because due to the timing the capped ones would be any larva that the bees started on that were kind of the the late the uh, the older larva and then anything uncapped is more likely to be where they started with a young larva and in theory this increases the quality of the queen another side note here <laughs> um, in a video of Sam Comfort where he was talking about um, emergency queens and actually getting some numbers on the quality of the the queens of those versus uh, grafted queens or, or swarm queens and um, one thing I will say is Sam Comfort uses all-natural comb and because of the very tiny hive size he uses and just so you know the only instead of top bars he uses barbecue skewers across the top this is the ultimate in low-cost low-tech beekeeping if you're interested in this look up Sam Comfort but um, anyway I will say another thing I noticed was every frame if you can call it that uh, stick that he pulled out that had comb on it and queen cells it was all brand new young white wax and that in my experience is a huge um, component of getting quality queens from splits okay so it's not split season you can tell that's my favorite thing I'm veering back to it no no it is getting to be real fall here um, we in at 3,000 feet we are actually on the downside of leaf color had a big windy rainstorm last night so that might have done away with it a lot but I was I felt lucky to spend quite a bit of time in the past week we had visitors up on the Blue Ridge Parkway just uh, looking at leaves it was it was just beautiful so anyway I'm gonna try to stay on um, fall subjects although it's not nearly as much fun as uh, as split season oh but f before I forget too, <laughs> another takeaway that I wrote down from Mark's talk was the idea of compressing the hive that you're doing a split with and what was neat about this to me is that when you're doing grafted queens you know compressing or just essentially having those overflowing packed with bees boxes for your cell builder that's standard I mean usually the cell builders literally if you need to take the top cover off it just the bees just surge out there's so many bees in there and that's to again um, up the quality of the queens but I thought this was neat he does the same uh, compression technique when he does a split so basically he splits it and the queenless part he packs those box those bees in kind of tight you know what would normally be a swarm prone population but because there's no queen in there they're not ready to swarm yet now you'll have to watch them once they get their queen cells but um, anyway that was a that was a neat thing to me um, again because so many times when people talk about rearing queens and and think about making their own queens they see these commercial methods and these huge hives and um, huge cell builders and you make a hundred cells at a time and that is just way over the top for most backyard beekeepers and there are ways uh, to do to use some of the uh, techniques of commercial queen rearing that make for better queens 
but to right size it to a backyard where you don't have to graft and you don't have to have any special equipment or basically you know do much so that'll be a topic that believe me I will be um, working on over the winter and definitely talking about and getting you ready for next year to um, raise your own bees because that uh, my idea of sustainability as I say often is that you never have to buy bees again unless you want to unless you want to buy a special queen or for whatever but you never have to in fact I would aspire to have you have so many extra bees that you are selling or trading um, nucleus colonies with your with people in your club and you are spreading your bees that you're raising around because you just have so many extra that you can just be generous with them <laughs> that would be my goal and so to, to, to me that is a sustainable backyard beekeeping operation okay so those were some takeaways from Mark's talk that I wanted to go back and just point out to you so another random topic that I had written down to be sure to mention is how grateful I am for my local bee club. I'm a member of the Tocane Beekeepers Association in North Carolina and I just want to encourage you if you have a bee association or a bee club as I call it casually it's really the Tocane Beekeepers Association but um, I would really encourage you to to give it a shot even if you've given it a shot before um, because there is so much valuable stuff that can go on now sometimes the most valuable stuff may or may not be the speakers <laughs> and it may or may not be the people in the club who tend to be you know kind of loud and long-winded or talky-talky depending um, they may or may not be the true treasure um, in your local club but probably somewhere in there are beekeepers with long-term experience in your climate in your particular microcosm who can give you great beekeeping technique suggestions and by that I mean all everything except perhaps you disagree on some things but just disregard that you know just go oh that's how you do it but let me ask you this other thing about this totally different thing you know I want you to gain that information from those people and and I want those people to pass that information on what I notice at several of the clubs that I've um, either uh, did done presentations at or been members of there's this big gap you've got this handful and it's usually a very tiny handful of old-timers and then you've got a whole bunch of new beekeepers now we need new beekeepers particularly young beekeepers so whatever you can do to support young people um, in beekeeping that's important because if you look around at most bee clubs the average age is significant <laughs> and I'm, I'm one of those <laughs> significant age people and, and but it gets much older um, so we definitely need young people but I tell you I, I think I'm gonna I don't know I'm gonna do a whole episode it'll kind of be a little bit of a rant Speaking of rants, when you go on the Patreon page to look at that free sugar brick recipe, they're also, it's preceded by kind of a rant about feeding bees, which I feel strongly that we should feed our bees to get them through. Um, it frustrates me when people let their bees starve because of a misunderstanding. They think they're going to, they either think sugar's bad for the bees and therefore it's better to let them starve. Don't get me started. But uh, Or they think that 
if they didn't put up enough food, they must be crappy genetics and we need to weed them out anyway. And both of those to me are um, just, they're just logical dead ends because though that population, um, if they're healthy, maybe they're just not productive, but they're healthy, then those bees can be the support colony for the brand new genetics of a new queen that you provide them. And it's just a waste to let bees starve um, if they're healthy, um, because there's a million reasons why they didn't get up enough honey to su survive the winter. And so anyway, there is a rant. I'll warn you about that. Um, let's see, what was my other, oh, my other rant that I, I want to write is we don't really need a bunch of freaking new beekeepers. Now hear me out here. We do need lots of replacements, but we don't need beekeepers that are always new beekeepers. And I hate to say this, but I see this a lot. There are people that I happen to know have been beekeeping four or five years, maybe with some mixed success. But the questions they ask um, at the at the club, you should know that. You should know that after bee school, much less after a few years of bees, in my opinion. And if you're gonna keep bees, aspire to do it well. Aspire to be really skillful. Aspire to know your subject matter, which are the bees, in depth and know beekeeping and know about, you know, just it's really fun to be really good at it. There's a pleasure in it that um, as a person who is typically a generalist and jack of all trades, master of none, it is so pleasurable to run into weird quandaries out in your bee yard and think, oh, I, I know three different ways that I could handle this. Let me think of which would be the way, best way in this setting. Now, obviously, this is not instant, but I wish so much that you would aspire to only be a newbie, only be a new beekeeper briefly while you're new. <laughs> you know, while you're new, that is a natural part of the process. But if you're several years in and you know, you still don't understand um, the bee biology cycle or the seasonal cycle or um, how to replace a queen or how, you know, these things, then then get a good book or get on YouTube with some good um, teachers and learn that this winter and, and come out in the spring way better educated on everything than you were. So I'm not saying like drop out if you're in many years and you're still operating at a real beginner level. I'm just asking you to up your game and go to the next level. And then beginners, I'm asking you to dive in and dive deep and read constantly um, or watch videos constantly or listen to podcasts, you know, whatever it is to build your knowledge of beekeeping skills because it really is, there is really a skill set and, you know, I don't know if somebody said, yeah, I can rebuild an engine. You know, they didn't do that the first time. And they don't have this idea that just because they're really mechanically inclined that they can just rebuild an engine without, you know, from a, from a cold start. And, um, but somehow we act like that would be, okay, all right, I'm getting off the soapbox. I'm sorry, but that is such a, such a thing. Um, this idea of, uh, of new beekeepers. And I wish, frankly, I wish that there was like a, like in nursing school, there was kind of a scare-off session right up front for B-schools. 
you know, that basically if you think this is going to be a cakewalk, if you think this is going to be a pretty thing for your garden, then let's talk more before you decide to take up bees. Because you may, you may think, oh, I just want a pretty hive for my garden. Okay, I started that way too. Um, but if that's all you want, if if you are really closed to the idea of going deep and learning this skill as one of your best skills, um, then maybe just assist somebody until you decide to take the plunge. So, okay, let me just stop on that. I'll, I'll just, sometime I'll do a whole rant. <laughs> I'll try to be nice on all that. And I'll just have a separate one. And if you have people mention to you, oh, I want to do bees, then make them listen to that. And if they're tough enough to get through that, then they're probably tough enough to be a great beekeeper, which is what I wish for every one of you. Okay, I want to answer some questions because I'm, I guess I'm nicer when I'm answering questions and um, <laughs> usually. Um, so Michael in South Carolina, who is such a wonderful supporter of this podcast and was a big supporter of the recording device. He's almost a co-producer of the show at this point. But Michael had a question and it was, it's, I'm addressing it here because it's probably going to, well, it probably has applied to a lot of people, depending on where you are already. And if you're down in uh, the southern places like South Carolina, then you're probably just getting into that. So Michael's question is, um, how long should the queen be laying eggs and the hive raising brood? And he's talking about in the fall, before they stop for winter. Um, I'm in South Carolina, so we enjoy warmer winters than you. Being a first-year beekeeper, I know they'll slow down and stop, but when would that be? Uh, he says, goes on to say he's having, in one of his hives, he's having trouble locating the queen. She's not marked. So he's looking for the larva and he's not seeing much, the open white larva or um, eggs, which are even littler. So, Michael, this is a great question. And it reminded me of um, a, an experienced beekeeper friend of mine, um, Susan, who one fall told me, she said she opened up her hive. She is probably about eight. And she went through these hives and just just about panicked because just did not see open brood to amount to anything or I don't even know if she saw any uh, in several hives and she said she had was just panicked because she was like you know have they gone queenless what has happened um and and just kind of she put it back together and and paused and all those hives made it through winter and what it was, was her, and I believe she did check them later, but basically she had opened the hives when her set of, of queens, which if I'm not mistaken are all kind of, uh, she's been using her own bees for several years, so they probably uh, have some similar characteristics in the different hives. I believe the lineage of, lineage of her bees also tends to be carne, carniolans, and so... Um, one of the things they are famous for is cutting way back on their brood and they do it suddenly and they do it in response to what is going on out there in the world in terms of pollen and nectar and all that. It can be very dramatic. It's also very different from Italian race bees, the, which are typically the, the real bright gold um, bees and uh, versus these, these darker or darker striped bees. Um, so basically what Susan had was seeing well, she had looked at it at at the uh, what do you call that the the 
the lowest <laughs> the lowest point um, of brood and and felt like she might even be queenless which is something you know queen rightness is something you want to verify before you go into winter but sometimes depending on the lineage and the temperament of your bees there is a time they almost have no brood going and it can be shocking to open it up especially if there's still a fairly big population and just not be able to find open brood to speak of now here's the here's the catch um, before hard winter sets in you do need to know that the queen is there so Michael my suggestion on the hive that you did not see um, open brood and didn't see didn't see the queen which is not that unusual um, at some point you will want to go back on in before the winter gets too cold in South Carolina and just make sure like get uh, I don't know if you need reading glasses but even if you don't it might help and it, it helps me for sure you know I put on my best readers and sometimes I even get a little uh, really bright LED flashlight of course I have my veil on because sometimes they can go for light and I'll get in the middle of where the brood nest should be and take out a frame you know look real carefully for the queen maybe I get lucky there's some nice fat open brood and I'm like okay let's call this good I've got a queen um, on the other hand if you're looking looking don't see it then use your flashlight uh, you may even need to carefully shake off some of the bees off the frame back into the hive carefully because the queen could be on that frame and you definitely want her to go back in just to clear off the space to look down in the cells um, and and keep going until you see some white brood now it may be tiny you may be you may be looking for something the size of a couple of silver dollars or even a silver dollar some somewhere in there um, so it can be a challenge but at some point you want to make sure you've got open brood because or that you visualize the queen one of those two things before they're closed down for winter um, ideally now not this doesn't always happen but but that is uh, the best case scenario and the the combination of uh, good reading glasses the flashlight and in a worst case scenario shaking off some of the bees carefully back into the hive can help me find a little brood all I need is to spot some white brood and I'm like that yep, there's a queen in there somewhere and so that uh, to answer that's kind of a round the park uh, answer but um, there is a dip in brood rearing and it is you know roughly about now um, in in your area you're south of, of me um, and that brood that dip in brood is of course what causes the mite counts to jump up now um, don't panic because this is this is a norm, normal process but in the fall you'll notice that there's often a big jump in mite counts in hives that had been quite low and it wasn't that they were mite free when they were quite low it's just that those mites were breeding under the caps of the cells so all that all that brood has hatched out the bees are walking around and then when you shake them off and do an alcohol wash or sugar roll to do your mite count lo and behold there's this high much higher mite count because all the mites are kind of out they're out of the cells now the upside of that is that that creates for the um, people who uh, treat with um, oxalic or formic that creates a great window you know when you have a very low amount of brood um, capped brood that creates a great window to treat you know depending on what your temperatures are etc etc uh, if you do that 
Um, but the downside is, I think at one time, at least in my mind, at one time, you know, when the bees were, when the mites are out on the bees, you think, oh, good, you know, at least they're not reproducing. But it turns out they're doing so much damage because, in fact, I, I, I really didn't understand this until a few years ago, that when they're out, um, just riding around on the bees, they're not just harmless hitchhikers and they're not just, you know, being a little lightweight, ticky vampires. Um, they are eating the fat body of that bee and the fat body is is kind of the the liver <laughs> and and also the the protein system of that bee and the one of the utterly critical things for bees living through winter is having good fat bodies and in this organ having it plumped up and uh, you'll hear people call them fat bees you need fat bees to go into winter and if those mites are sucking out the fat body that's not going to happen and so and that's not even counting if, let's say, you happen to have, <laughs> uh, this is a joke, um, you know, virus-free mites, they're still doing damage. But then if they're also virus-infected, which they all are, um, then there's that whole layer of damage. So, so I, I don't know how I got off on that, <laughs> but the whole idea of, you know, the mite counts jumping up in the fall, I guess I'm trying to connect that in your mind to that tends to correlate with the time that there's very little capped brood or any kind of brood um, in the hive. Um, so, Michael, I hope that answers your question. If it does not, please on the Patreon page. Um, oh, and I wanted to tell you, the you mentioned the email from Patreon. And when I post on Patreon to everybody who's a, a patron there, when I post, it'll send you an email and say that I posted. Usually that goes to spam unless you've moved it out. And if you don't want to see those emails, just leave it in spam. And if you want to see them, um, move it out of spam. But um, there's more stuff on the site that you may or may not have gotten an email about. So please do go to the Patreon site whether you're a patron or not um, because there are posts that may or may not have gone out to you in in um, email and I'm really having fun uh, it gives me a place to post some pictures for you uh, Facebook can get a little confusing sometimes and um, it's it's kind of hard to keep up you know when people respond on there it's hard to see sometimes and so the great thing about for me about the uh, patreon if I just want to share um, a picture with you guys um, it's an easy way to do it and to let you know what's going on in my my bee yard I would be totally open to sharing little short simple videos but because I'm way out in the country it, if I do a three-minute video, it takes like three hours to upload, It's and it pretty much times out every time. It's just not an option uh, for me out here, and, um, you know, I just don't want to spend that much time at the McDonald's in town <laughs> uh, uploading videos. So it's going to probably be mostly photos and um, audio, at least at this point. Now, another loose end um, from a prior podcast that I realized, Greg had said, how do you know when a hive is ready for winter? And I think I had even said, Greg, that's a great question, but I'm not even, I'm not sure that I answered that question in the simple one, two, three, four list that I made. So here's my simple list. Um, in, to me, a hive is ready in my yard. I feel like a hive is ready for winter when I know they have plenty of stores and or I have a plan for emergency feeding with sugar blocks or some combination of those two things. I have right-sized the hive, meaning if that's a fairly small colony of bees, I have reduced the hive size so that it cozies up around them. 
I have number three made sure that I have um, reduced my mite counts or know my mite counts or um, have taken care of mites in whatever fashion and four um, some type of insulation and of course there was the podcast that was the the whole deep dive and by that if you are in one of the colder places I think one of the simplest things you can do is get a piece of uh, foam board Um, you could probably rig this up from just all kinds of things you could use well, there's just all kinds of things you could use but basically you want to create some type of insulation under your outer cover so usually those are the metal square covers and if if you have some good thick insulation between your inner cover and your outer cover now if it's if if that's all you've done if you just put some rigid foam in there um, then you do want uh, some upper ventilation in my opinion um, not a ton necessarily but just a little um, so you you want some airflow because even though you've insulated you don't want to block off the airflow uh, completely now the exception and I mentioned this I think at some point or I, actually I think I was talking I was having a conversation with Jeff on the patreon page uh, quilt boards kind of change this equation and I know I'm going to run long here, so uh, don't be afraid to pause and come back later if, if 30 minutes is all you had allotted. And Michelle, you're getting your wish because I'm going to run long. <laughs> she likes longer podcasts, so thanks for that, Michelle. Um, so anyway, quilt boxes, as you probably know, are, are some type of box, like, and it can be a shallow super, um, or it can be a box that you've made out of just, you know, one by four or one by three, something like that. And... But imagine a shallow super because we all know what that looks like. And the one of the simplest quilt boxes is you take a shallow super, you staple um, either screen wire or um, canvas on the bottom of it. And ideally you put some type of crossbar and staple to that too because you don't want a big, a big sag uh, getting down on your top bars because they'll stick it to the top bars. But anyway, so you want some type of uh, flat, porous surface, something like canvas. Um, You could even use one of those uh, plastic queen excluders because the bees are not going to be going and coming through this. Um, So there's lots of things you could use, but some type of porous thing, screen wire uh, would work. Um, The bee hardware cloth would work. And then in that box from the top, you're going to uh, first of all, you're going to put vent holes up around the the top edge of that, and by and I mean pretty big, like something uh, you know wine cork size or or even a little larger. And you're going to screen those holes. You're going to screen them with screen wire so that nothing can get in there, um, like bugs of some type that are not bees. And then you're going to fill that box with chips or uh, wood shavings, I shouldn't say chips, but either something fluffy. It could be, um, I've actually heard of people using wool out west because apparently they have spare wool. <laughs> um, I've, I've seen people use uh, pine shavings. I've seen people use cedar shavings. Um, people have used um, f- folded up burlap. Uh, there's just any kind of absorbent insulation-y stuff and in that box. Now you don't want that insulation to block those ventilation holes because essentially you want the the ventilation. So because it is not a solid surface you know air is is uh, what would you call it percolating through those 
wood shavings because they're not packed in there. They're not solid like that foam I talked about earlier. And so as a result, air is the air from the exhalation of the bees, which is where most of the moisture is. Um, air is working up its way up through there. The absorbent material is doing some absorbing kind of the way um, maybe the the duff in a natural tree cavity would to some extent. Um, so and you've created a warm insulative barrier between the bees and that cold top cover because it's the bottom of that cold top cover when the warm air rises up from the hive hits that bottom of the cold top cover that's where you get the condensation unfortunately that tends to be right in the middle so it drips right in the middle and that's where the bees tend to be so the quilt board I, I think it I think it came traditionally from the war a hive but I, I think it is a really um, fabulous thing uh, I've mentioned before that I aspire to have one for every hive I have not gotten to it yet um, because that is the good thing it's you know I, I have the rigid foam under all my um, uh, top covers and I still have upper insulation and in our climate usually I've still got November knock on wood um, to where we'll still have a day warm enough here and there that I can do some quick top uh, bee work um, like switch out of inner cover and put the quilt box on so knock on wood I'll get that done I have so many things I need to get done I'm just not uh, as productive as I used to be. Um, I tend to wander off a lot now. <laughs> you who listen to the podcast regularly will say, yeah, we could tell that. But thank you for being so forgiving. And um, it just means the world to me that y'all are so forgiving. And, and, and it keeps me going. So that's about the quilt boards and um, or quilt boxes. And if you, like I said, if you're interested, just Google quilt boxes and there's a there's like 20 different kinds that you can make um, they don't have to be expensive I find it very irritating when the bee catalogs I saw one there's one I, I, I can't name the company to shame them but it's a it's a basically a quilt box and it is $50 and that is just ridiculous in my opinion because even me <laughs> not terribly handy uh, can could whip up the equivalent of a quilt box for the price of a cheap shallow and you know a piece of cloth and some wood shavings that's that's just we're not to fifty dollars yet so uh, that's something that's very doable at home in my opinion and I will on for the patrons as your special bonus because you guys are the ones who have um, you have um, joined the farm crew over the patreon page and I am so honored and appreciative and I want to give you guys some little bonus posts and the quilt box gallery is the next one that is coming. Now I wanted to share some feedback I got on the Facebook page um, from some Canadian beekeepers on my wintering episode which was a couple back and I have to say if the Canadian beekeepers are saying okay two thumbs up I felt like I, I got it right <laughs> for a Southern girl. And also because I'm talking to you guys who are just spread out all over this country and a few other countries. And um, I do always say it's a very particular to where you are. But let me tell you, one of these fellows, Etienne, is beekeeping in the Yukon and has a really wonderful website. It is, if you look up North of 60, 60, North of 60 Beekeeping, 
um, it tells about beekeeping in the Canadian Yukon, which it is zone one, and I just I'm just stunned that um, anyone could do it there. But Etienne it does a lot of research um, on uh, temperature changes in the hive, dealing with these extremely cold temperatures. And if you are in the far north, even of the United States, um, there is some good information on there, and it is very uh, data-driven. And then the other person was from Quebec, Alexandre, and um, who also talked about uh, keeping bees up in the really cold places and so that was just thrilling to hear from some truly <laughs> cold climate uh, beekeepers that the that uh, that I was right on on some things with insulation and I hope to share more information definitely from the north of 60 uh, research project because that is just fascinating and whereas we don't have to deal with um, I, th I think it's already it's already been below zero there in October, and I, I just can't fathom. Um, like I said, I'm pretty spoiled because I'm like, okay, if I kick some butt, I've got a lot I can still do um, in November. All right, so thank you to both of you guys. That meant the world to me to hear from Canada um, about uh, keeping hives warm. And Etienne, I, I definitely would love to share some material from your website and if you're interested maybe even um, interview you if you're in the mood just let me know okay so as I wrap this up a few things one I want to draw your attention to two recent podcasts that are very enjoyable uh, Kevin over at Beekeepers Corner I am very impressed Kevin who is um, not a treatment-free beekeeper nonetheless did a long in-depth episode looking at the whole concept of treatment-free beekeeping it is very well done it is very measured and calm <laughs> which calm is something often lacking in the treatment versus non-treatment um, debate it was the uh, you know the I had mixed feelings at points because some people will call me a treatment-free beekeeper I have mixed feelings it's because no, I do not use chemical mite treatments, but for some people, treatment-free means a bunch more than that. And anyway, it just gets confusing. As Mark mentioned, you know, the labels get really confusing. Um, but uh, Kevin does a really good job of going over a lot of the pros and the cons and the thoughts behind it. And I really admire you, Kevin, for diving into that because obviously it can... Um, <laughs> it can mess up a B-Club meeting if people get really... Um, polarized on that subject and another recent podcast which is just lovely is on beekeeper confidential mandy shaw interviews the author of the honey bus which is a memoir not particularly it is a memoir about a woman's life but bees are very integral to the process anyway listen to the podcast um, i've already ordered the book because it sounded so good um, and i'm looking forward to um, you know, in this mythical quiet winter time when I have all this time. <laughs> but uh, that book, I can guarantee I'll be on that as soon as I get it. Uh, it sounded really good. It's an excellent, just a very heartfelt interview over at Beekeeping Confidential. And that was, that was great. So thanks to every single one of you. Every time you say hi on the Facebook page and tell me you've enjoyed something, it makes my day. 
I really appreciate it if you feel moved to leave a, uh, a good written review on the Apple podcast um, that helps other people find the podcast. That means a lot to me. Whenever you share a post, um, that means a lot to me because, again, it helps people find it, which is remarkably difficult to just share um, a podcast on a lot of the Facebook groups, if you share your podcast, as I've learned um, recently, <laughs> they consider that self-promotion. And so even though it's free, um, they still consider it self-promotion. And so they will delete it. So if you, on the other hand, are a member of any Facebook beekeeping groups and you want to uh, pick a post from the Five Apple Farm Bees, Honey, and More Facebook page and share it there, whether it's a podcast or just a, a post of, of any kind, that really helps because I can't, if I do it, they consider it self-promotion and will um, delete it and as one group, delete me. <laughs> but um, right now, I want to say thank you to some very special people. The um, patrons at Patreon have uh, ponied up some money and are supporting this with cold hard cash and where I am always going to have these free podcasts for everybody it really means a lot um, these the farm crew have who've said that it is yes it's that it's worth a buck a week for them to support this podcast and I would welcome anybody who feels up to that um, it also gives me when you're on the patron page it gives me a sort of small setting to answer your questions and to share bonus things with the patrons. So I want to say thank you to Jeff, Chris, Michael in South Carolina, Mark, Deborah, Mandy, Darla, Susan, Matthew, Chuck, Wayne, and Jason. Those are the new patrons and since I've set up this page and it just um, it's really great to have you there and to know that these are these are the the core supporters who are um, who are just with me and I, it means a lot. You guys have a wonderful week. Hit me up with uh, questions. Um, a person at my bee club asked if I would be discontinuing my podcasts for the winter. And it had actually never crossed my mind to put the podcast on hold for the winter. And so I had not planned on it. Um, and if y'all, you know, people who are the, <laughs> the probably more normal people who maybe don't think about bees all winter, um, you may just want to save them up and when you get in the bee mood in the spring have a bunch to listen to or for those of you hardcore folks that like to think about bees all winter I hope you will stick with me because I plan on uh, keep going let me know if you have people in mind that you would like interviewed or topics that you would like me to attempt to cover I'm thinking about you all cheering you on hoping that your your winter prep is going well if that's applicable in your climate for some of you you're already prepped and buttoned down and settled in for a good fire and a good read and um, sending cheers out to all of you thank you